Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. It is indeed beautiful, and it's a great uh, a Tuesday afternoon. They're all great. And uh, we had some rain last night, which really makes it super great. Boy, it's been quite dry here. And uh, so it's some rain in the Hill Country. Hope you're doing well. Welcome to part two of our Tuesday show, the 18th of October. My name is Patrick Timpone, and we hang out here at OneRadioNetwork.com. OneRadioNetwork.com. This would be interesting. I read an article from uh, this young lady. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't even know where it came from. I, you know, I was just kind of trying to figure it out just a moment ago. It's been like a while because it took us a little bit to get to her. And if I can pull up my uh, her bio with my mouse, I'll, I'll t- kind of tell you about it. Her name is uh, Dr. Libby Stout. She's a board-certified addiction psychiatrist and has worked in the addiction behavioral health field since 1990. She was medical director for the CIRCLE program, which is a 90-day inpatient treatment program funded by the state of Colorado for persons with co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse who have failed other levels of treatment from 99 through May 20. She was instrumental in helping the CIRCLE program to become tobacco-free in January 2000, been a strong advocate of the need to address all addictions at the same time. She's done quite a bit of work with this whole idea of marijuana or cannabis, as we used to call it when we were kids. Wacky tobacco is what we called it. And that's what, but that's many years ago. Miss Stout, uh, Dr. Stout, a very pleasant good afternoon. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, addiction. Oh my goodness. So, so you've been digging into this cannabis idea, and are you finding that maybe a cannabis, uh, even the medicinal or the regular stuff, is more addictive than we thought or think? Yes, um, definitely. Whoa. Um, the 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 problem is the increased potency. So um, I'm in Colorado, and when we legalized medical marijuana in 2000, the highest potency of THC average was about 5%, Mm -hmm. and we didn't have any concentrates. And I think people were voting on it to help with people who, you know, are suffering from severe illness and, and regular medication isn't helping, and... You know, I do believe that there are healing properties in the cannabis plant, but the problem has been that without any real regulation at all, the industry has been allowed to massively increase the potency of THC. Hmm. Uh, And so now we have all these medical products that have no research behind them. I mean, there's no research on wax, shatter, you know, these things that are like up to possibly 90% THC. What is wax and shatter? Is that like a, a, a product that they sell? Uh, yes, it's a concentrated product. Ooh. So they actually, they take the leaf or the, the plant, the buds, and they um, dissolve them in solvents like butane or propane, and they extract the cannabinoids, and then they kind of distill them down and dry them. And so you end up with this very sticky substance that people dab so they put it on a 
head of a nail and heat it with a blowtorch so that it gets very, 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 very hot and it vaporizes. And so then they inhale the vapor that comes off of that. And that goes directly to the lungs, to the heart, to the brain. <laughs> I mean, it's, and this is one of the things that we're finding is that the higher the potency, the higher the risk of developing what's now called cannabis use disorder, which is basically addiction to cannabis. And, you know, the, in my career, I've been focused primarily on tobacco mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. nic nicotine has always been the most addictive drug we've ever had and the most difficult for people to quit. And so that's why I advocate for treatment programs being tobacco-free to help people stop everything at the same time. However, with this higher potency, what I was seeing in my treatment program was this is almost similar to tobacco in being very, very difficult to quit. So once somebody has been using the higher potency products and developed cannabis use disorder, they have an extreme difficulty quitting, similar to the difficulty quitting nicotine. Mm. And um, that's really concerning because of all the other things that the high potency products do to people. Sure, sure. Hey, Dr. Stout, is there any evidence that you, in your opinion, that say, say, let's just take common day, everyday recreational marijuana that's sold everywhere, say 5% TSC or whatever, is, is addictive as well? It, it potentially addictive, but in, you know, I started the, in this field 30 years ago, and 30 years ago, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, and that's why, even though I didn't vote for medical marijuana, because I think it's crazy to vote for a medication, <laughs> but um, I, uh, I wasn't that worried about it because, yes, I had been treating people with addiction to marijuana, but it was rare and it, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal, but now it's become a really big deal. And in my treatment program mm -hmm. where, like, as you mentioned, we treat people who failed everything else. So these are people that have been in multiple other treatment programs without success. I was finding that the ones that were using the high potency THC were not really very capable of doing the program very well. Um, because they've been using it up to admission and they were really cognitively impaired. And hmm. the treatment program is a very highly cognitive behavioral program. What does that mean, cognitive behavioral? You're talking about the mind and s spiritual, right. you know, the whole, that, that, that thing, right? That, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the gold standard for addiction treatment is really cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's several different kinds of it. And, and then also working with people with their trauma because trauma underlies addiction. Yeah. And a lot of that is cognitive behavioral. So it's, it's really getting people to change their thinking and change their behavior related to um, the substance that they're using. And that takes a while, yeah. and you have to have a you have to have a clean brain in order to do that because <laughs> you're you're learning new things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a clean, healthy brain, it's really hard to learn new things. So, so are you saying that um, even if you're talking about mind, of course, which is separate from brain, but if the if the brain is the brain is acting kind of crazy on its own, separate from 
the mind? Well, I, I see them intricately <laughs> related. They, they must I mean, be I, together, I, I, right? They're, they're one and the same, even though they're separate. Right, Doc? Right, right. right. And that's, that's kind of why I gravitated toward working in the addiction field. Mm-hmm. I really love it because, to me, it's the only area of medicine where you actually do address the total human, human. mind, body, spirit. Yeah. And, it try and, and work on all of those things at the same time, helping people to really identify what their problems are. And <clears throat> it's just that the, you know, the THC is a fat soluble substance that sits in your body for a very long time Does because it? it sits in fat or something. Um, and it, you know, I guess to me, the very best thing that has ever come out of this legalization of marijuana has been a better understanding of our endocannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. So this is um, something that I never knew about in medical school, um, but it it really wasn't really discovered until the 1990s when they actually were looking at the different cannabinoids and finding that there was a receptor in the brain that THC fit into perfectly. That's how it got called a cannabis receptor, but I'm really sorry it ever got called that because that makes people think that we have a receptor in our brain that says we're supposed to smoke yeah. marijuana. So, so, yeah, exactly. God put it out there so we, we smoke it. I've heard people say that. I, you know, right. right. But it was in the 90s <laughs> when researchers discovered why we have those receptors. Ah. So they discovered that we have this system that has now been called the endocannabinoid system, mm-hmm. which is our homeostatic system. It's our mood regulation system. It's the system that helps balance us. And, and so it's, there's more and more research going into it. Uh, and, and that's really phenomenal because one of the, like an example, uh, I have found that one of the things that helps recovery a lot is daily exercise. Hmm. And now there's information that the endocannabinoid system plays a role in exercise. I also use um, ear acupuncture in my treatment programs to help people um, stress relief and calming down, sleeping. And there's there's research now coming out that acupuncture may be involved in endocannabinoid system. So this is a system that apparently we use um, naturally. So if we have any kind of issues our brain makes a decision to make these chemicals locally in the brain because we have the enzymes to make them. And there's two that they talk about are anandamide and 2-AG. Anandamide is a Sanskrit word for supreme joy or bliss. Yes. So that kind of means this is our, you know, our feel-good system. And so it makes those chemicals locally they're used immediately and then they're destroyed because we have enzymes that break them down and so this is our brain doing this if you put an exogenous source of thc into the brain you mess up this whole system i mean don't really know what you're doing because the thc sits in that receptor and can't really be destroyed until it disappears just wears out just, yeah, it wears out. Yeah. And and why this is so important is during 
big brain development. Um, so, you know, humans, your brain is not fully developed until mid-20s. And the last part of the brain to develop is the frontal lobe, so the prefrontal motor cortex. That's where you have all your executive functioning, your judgment, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And during puberty, the brain is doing a lot of different things because there's a lot of neuronal growth and strengthening, like myelinating, but the brain is also pruning, like making decision of what are we going to get rid of because it's causing interference and we need to strengthen the other neurons. And the two receptors responsible for that in the brain are the CB1 receptors or the cannabinoid 1 receptors and the nicotinic cholinergic receptors. And so this is really why adolescents, especially, shouldn't really be using tobacco or cannabis. <laughs> because, because these it are really developing, goes, they're developing in it. Right. It's, it harms the developing brain. Wow. And there's really strong evidence now that really nobody should be using cannabis unless they're 25 years of age or older. Hmm, really? <laughs> um, because, because your brain is still developing at that point. Wow, that's kind of hard to... Fascinating. So on the go, let's go back to the nanamide, the cool one or pleasure thing, and what's the other one? What, what activates them, Dr. Stout, naturally? Just we, we, we get happy and we fall in love and stuff like that? <laughs> I don't think we really know yet, okay. but I think that it's very cool to, to recognize hmm. that because this basically is called our homeostatic system. And, you know, our whole goal is to be balanced. You know, yeah. we want, and this is what we do when we're treating people um, in substance abuse and trauma work. We're treating people how to balance the autonomic nervous system because, you know, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic need to be balanced. Uh, and so I think the endocannabinoid system plays a real big role in that. And I'm thinking that maybe that's why THC, if it inhibits the system, may play a role in violence or against you know oneself or against others. Mm. Because we do see an increased correlation with the higher potency THC with suicide and also with violence. And so um, maybe it's just that it's dysregulating our own natural homeostatic system. So our mood regulation system. And if you're, you know, your mood is bad, like you're really not in a good place. Yeah. And then you get really angry and you feel like, you know, you want, you want to get revenge or something. Right. And then the other thing is what these drugs do, including THC, is they take off the frontal lobe. So if somebody's using heavily, their executive functioning system doesn't work very well. And so if they're really thinking they're angry and they want to kill themselves, they want to kill somebody else, they don't have the capacity of their brain function to say, wait a minute, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> Dr. Libby Stout is with us if you have a question. Fascinating subject. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Um, when, when one does marijuana, uh, what's the proper word anyway? Is it cannabis or marijuana? Or, I don't know. What is it? Cannabis? I, I, use, them, I use them interchangeably, interchangeably. Yeah. because um, our law says medical marijuana. 
Right, so, I see, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. just the regular street stuff for the kids, and then they start imagining things, and then they get happy or something because they're imagining doing something fun and, you know, the whole thing. And then when you imagine something fearful, it's the same thing. It's just on the other end, right? Do we know what's going on where it feels more real and authentic? I can remember stuff 50 years ago where I actually thought what I was thinking was, was cool when I was just crazy, you know, you know. You know what I'm saying? Can you explain that? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> marijuana has been classed as a hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's no longer actually classed as that, mainly because hallucinogens are not supposed to have a withdrawal syndrome. But now we see with the high potency THC, we see a very marked withdrawal syndrome. And so they're kind of in a class by themselves, but they still cause hallucinations. And so when you, um, or an altered perception of reality. Altered perception, right. I like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why people use it a lot. I mean, that's why people use psychedelics. Uh, it really gives them a different perception of reality. And that can be a positive thing, but it also can be a very negative thing. Um, because <clears throat> that was one of the things I was starting to see in the last five years since we legalized recreational marijuana mm-hmm. was these really increase in delusional systems. And and that seems to be, in my experience, more powerful than things like methamphetamine or cocaine, uh, really? where we also have delusional systems. What does that mean, but, delusional systems? Well, it's it's <laughs> it's very interesting to talk to someone who has a diagnosis of delusional disorder, and that's different than schizophrenia. Uh, what that means is that a person has this fixed thought that's not real, but they cannot get rid of it. Like um, very classic one I saw regularly was people believed that the CIA had implanted electrodes in their black brain, right, right. and they were following them mm-hmm. or uh, monitoring them. And, and so I've seen people with delusional systems from alcohol, from methamphetamine, but these ones I was seeing with THC were even more powerful and that they just can't let go of them. And, and there is no treatment for delusions. Um, medications don't work. They don't stop the delusion. Uh, and, and for people that have that, they can seem totally normal. Like they don't seem to have any mental illness at all until you get into their delusional system. And when you start talking about that, then they start going way off somewhere else and you're like, whoo. And and so the other thing that I saw that there is research backing this up is that marijuana can also cause false memories. So people have this belief that something bad happened to them mm. or they experienced something bad and it never, ever really happened. It never happened. It was just an imagination thing. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of scary because when you're trying to help somebody work through a trauma, like I do a lot of work with um, therapies like EMDR or eye movement desensitization reprocessing, you know, you're, you're working with a memory, um, but if the memory didn't really happen, it's kind of hard to treat it. Um, I, we, I had an example of a person who was in the program who 
um, said that her trauma was basically from um, being sexually abused by her father mm-hmm. uh, when she was a young lady and that she like at 15 got pregnant and then was forced to have the baby and then forced to give up the baby for adoption. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to help this woman, um, but we weren't making much progress. And her a family member came to visit who grew up with her. And I asked if I could talk to them about her history. And she said, yes. And so this person said, well, you know, I do think my father probably did sexually abuse her. He wasn't a very nice guy, but she was never pregnant. She never had a baby. Really? She never had to give it up for adoption. And and so uh, there, there's some research out there looking at this, this issue. And w- what they found was that... Um, this was they had this study where they gave people a memory paradigm where they had to memorize certain number of words and then they were asked if the words were on the list and so the people that were heavy marijuana users um had less recall of the words however (laughs) what the most interesting thing was when they recalled incorrectly they couldn't be talked out of it so it was like somebody said was dog on the list and the person says yes it was on the list and they say well no i'm sorry it was not on the list well yes it was so that's kind of sad you know i've been thinking of of late is this all the stuff in the movies and you know, every time you turn around, somebody's dealing with some sexual thing and, and when they were kids, you know. And I'm wondering it, how much of that is really going on. I mean, could they just be thinking, oh, I think I was sexually abused, and then, and then, I mean, that could happen, right? I mean, and it does happen, must. Well, yeah, except that what I just talked about is rare. I mean, most people I've seen um, they really did. have had. Okay. really severe trauma and has been validated that that's true i just you know i'm just concerned about the, yeah you're right there may be people that have had some kind of trauma that they didn't really have sure 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 uh, uh quite, quite quite possible so um i don't know how much have you really looked at thc i mean is that part of your your, your venue to really understand what this does in the body as far as healing? Do we know? I mean, there there's something going on, right, with healing aspects of THC? Yeah, I mean, there definitely is research supporting the use supporting of can- cannabis for um, some medical conditions. And what I try and point out is if you look at that research, almost all of it, that I can find that's really validated research has been done with THC less than 10%. So there is, there is stuff out there supporting it. Um, And so, and I've worked with people who have um, been using low dose of THC with balanced CBD uh, for certain issues and have really benefited from it. My concern is this high potency THC that is being heavily advertised and marketed as medicine and it's not medicine Mm. i mean we don't have any research supporting it so and and so most studies if you look at you know the legitimate studies most of them that were done to approve 
cannabis as a treatment were done with the isolated cannabinoids. So usually with things that were pharmaceutical grade, like many of the studies were done with a, a drug called Sativex. Now we don't have that available in this country yet, but it's available most everywhere else. And it's a balance of kind of a low dose THC, low dose CBD, and it's oral uh, mucosal spray that people spray in, into their mouth. And the studies with that showing benefit, the highest dose was about 130 milligrams a day of THC. That's not a lot, right? That's not a lot. No, that's not a lot at all, especially when, like in Colorado, you can buy a gram bag of shatter in the medical market. So shatter is this thing that kind of looks like peanut brittle, and you break it up into little pieces, and then you smoke it with a blowtorch. And <laughs> uh, so a gram bag that's a 1,000 milligrams in a bag if it's 80% THC, that means there's 800 milligrams of THC in that bag. And so I just said the daily dose in the medical studies was 130. But somebody in Colorado, 18 to 20, can purchase two of those bags a day. So they can get 1,600 milligrams of THC a day. Wow. Now, adults can get eight bags a day. That's a whopping amount of THC <laughs> that, um, you know, if people are saying they're using that for medicinal purposes, there's no research so supporting that. Right, right. Um, but THC has to be heated, correct, to activate it? Yeah. Is that correct? It's got to be heated. Well, it, no? no, because no. it can be... Oh, yeah, the gummies I mean, and because all that, it's yeah. also... in. It's in edibles, but yeah, there's that mostly has been heated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So on the on the pain relief, do we know how that works? Is it is it possible to have pain relief without getting stoned, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, is it? Again, you have to you have to look at the research studies. Um, one of the ones that I found really interesting. <laughs> was the study looking at to determine, well, does it work for pain at all? And so they got healthy people who were not um, having any medical issues being willing to be injected with capstazin in their forearm. Capstazin is the stuff that comes out of hot peppers. And apparently if you inject it under the skin, it's very, very painful. Hmm. And so then they gave these people who had that um, marijuana cigarettes to smoke. Mm -hmm. And they found that if they gave them 2% THC, there was no pain benefit. If they gave them 4% THC, there was actually pain benefit. Mm -hmm. But if they gave them 8% THC, then it was opposite. Then they actually experienced more pain. Um, and they experienced this thing which is called hyperalgesia, meaning you're more sensitive to the pain. And that's something that we absolutely see with opiates. Uh, that's why opiates are really not the solution for chronic pain, because the more you take it, the higher and higher dose, you'll actually start having more pain. Hmm. And I think there's a lot of evidence. I think uh, with just when I play around with my body is if you if you focus on the pain, which you could very well do under under whatever taking this stuff it makes it could make it worse right i mean it just right. does you know it, it just yeah. does because the mind's very powerful and you say oh i got this vein and 
<laughs> Mike, makes it worse. Right, right, right. Oh. Uh, can you stay right there? We'll take a break here and uh, just uh, sure. uh, talk about a product. This is fun stuff. Dr. Libby Stout, and uh, if you'd like to uh, be on the show and ask her a question, uh, you can do that, 888-663-6386, or email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Now, I don't know if sweating will get rid of THC, and, and uh, you know, good. It detoxes a lot of stuff, and this is one of our favorite products, and this was from Dr. Hal Huggins years ago, who knew more about mercury than, than anybody on the planet. Previously, Dr. Hal Huggins on detoxing mercury. You do not have to get all the mercury out of the body. That's not what the problem is. It's the direction it's going. If you have more going out than you have coming in, then you're going to have a good chemistry. You're going to feel good. But if you have more going in to the body than going out, chemistries look bad and you feel bad. If you had to name just a few things on the top of your list to help get mercury out, whether they be supplements or foods, give us your top five Okay, off the top of your head best thing would be the infrared sauna. The thing is, detoxification is easy. Anybody can release a lot of mercury, but if you're using a sauna or especially the infrared sauna, then you are eliminating the mercury through the skin and you are bypassing liver and kidney. So that's a very good way to go. It's a pretty good way to go. We're learning more and more about saunas uh, as uh, we've been using ours for, oh gosh, I don't know, uh, 15 years. And just because I do it doesn't mean you should do it because I'm crazy, so you don't want to be crazy like me. But um, we, we, th- we like it a lot. You sweat, and uh, there's evidence uh, through some work with Dr. Rao in, in Europe uh, that they measure the sweat coming out before and after a sauna, and they actually have more toxins in it. Uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick is very uh, keen on this whole idea of infrared saunas with increasing the blood circulation in the heart, and it gets stronger. There's work out of China called Waon where they do that. They do the saunas, and people chill out, and everything just gets stronger. And cultures have been using saunas since, well, forever. And then, of course, the Indians did it with their sweat lodges. So these are cool, uh, but they're hot. And ours works really well. It's very low EMFs, uh, practically none. And it's a, it's a unit you can look at, and you can see it here on video. And you sit in there with your head out, so your head doesn't get all heated up. And it's really nice. And twelve ninety five delivered in the lower 48. And we ship them all over the world. We're shipping one to um, um, Ireland today. So we ship them all over the world. If you want to get one, just email me. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. And I'll, I'll hook you up with the best price ever. And we have a, the best price you're going to get anywhere along the line. About three years ago, we were introduced to a, a technology called um, hydrogen, Brown's gas. And uh, here's a little piece on that. And this might encourage you to try to get some. I've been doing it for about three years. And again, I'm crazy, so don't do what I do, but you know, you might like it. Previously, with the highly credentialed Dr. Thomas Levy, he argues because the literature shows that oxidation is the cause of disease. But the whole point is the location, the concentration, the duration, the distribution of oxidized biomolecules determines 100% of all diseases. 
And so that's why I say oxidative stress doesn't cause disease. Oxidation is disease. Is disease. If there's no oxidized biomolecules, you don't have a toxin. The toxic effect is oxidation of biomolecules. That's the entirety of it. And by the grace of God, several months ago, George Wiseman said this about hydrogen. Hydrogen is the world's best antioxidant by a long shot. Hmm. First of all, it's 700 times uh, smaller than something like uh, CoQ10, 400 times smaller than vitamin C, things like that. So it can literally go, the hydrogen molecule can literally go through everything in your body and go right into the very DNA and repair it. So now it makes sense why George was able to say this back in August 2019 with such conviction. The body accepts that gas and uses it to heal everything. It's like the fountain of youth. It's astonishing the amount of ailments. In fact, in scientific studies, and they have over a thousand scientific studies now, they are showing that it either helps the body heal directly or indirectly from virtually every ailment that ails any water-based life form. Okay, I'm sold. And I was able to get one a couple of months ago, thanks to your support. Of course, that I, I interview is uh, three years. <laughs> three, yeah, what can I tell you? Uh, I've had we've had it for now for uh, um, um, three years. So I think you'll like it. Twenty uh, percent. Uh, check it out. It's uh, pretty powerful. I use mine all the time. You breathe the gas. I have a twenty-five foot cannula, and you can exercise and. Uh, work on my screenplays, um, you know, do yoga, uh, watch a movie or read, whatever, and then uh, you drink the water as well. Very powerful, very powerful technology. And we don't try to kill anything. This is a food. And hydrogen is there. It's the only element, if you look, if you get geeky, and I bet Dr. Stout studied this in school, on the elemental scale, there's hydrogen is the only one on both sides. I don't know what that means, but I think it's pretty cool. I just make it up because it's fun. The only one, hydrogen, on both sides of the elemental scale. Uh, um, Pretty cool. Hydrogen, uh, by volume, the body is about 62% hydrogen, 24% oxygen, 12% carbon, 2% everything else. It's pretty amazing, huh? So check it out. You might like it. uh, And the promo code will get you 20% off on the Browns Gas Hydrogen Machine on OneRadioNetwork.com and uh, uh, just click on our website and uh, we'll get you hooked up. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We're having a good time talking about cannabis, uh, marijuana. Uh, We used to call when we were kids Wacky Tobacky with... uh, (laughs) I always like that name, uh, with uh, Dr. Stout, and she's an addiction specialist, um, board-certified psychiatrist, and has worked in the addiction behavioral health field since 1990. Uh, She wrote an article that I kind of thought, that's fun, and we contacted her to talk to her about some of this newfangled stuff on this medicinal marijuana that's legal that uh, she says containing uh, doses of uh, LSD, I mean, uh, excuse me, marijuana thc like really crazy high and and she's concerned concerned about it um so i'd like to understand the addiction properties of just regular street marijuana or or just the the harsher stuff is there a difference or it's in one package of physical as well as 
uh, emotional or spiritual or whatever you call it, is it both going on at the same time? Yeah, well, for sure, now. I mean, it used to be that people thought that marijuana addiction was psychological. Um, but now with the very high-potency products, we see a very marked physiological withdrawal as well. And so people hmm. actually have a lot of irritability, anger, anxiety, can't sleep, can't eat, and then massive cravings for marijuana because, you know, all they have to do is put it back in their body and then they feel much better. Mm -hmm. I, I still equate this to nicotine withdrawal because it's the same thing. People, you know, initially people that are heavy smokers think that they're treating their anxiety by smoking. But what they're really experiencing is anxiety from withdrawal. And so that's why, you know, you smoke for five minutes and you feel great. And then the rest of the hour, you start to go in withdrawal. That's why most people have to smoke every hour because they're treating withdrawal. And with the high potency THC, we're seeing the same thing. So I worked with a young man who was dabbing 30 times a day. Dabbing, that's it. We told us about on the nail with the... Right. Whoa. And, and so he wasn't dabbing 30 times a day to get high. He was dabbing 30 times a day because he's fighting withdrawal the whole time. So there, there, there's also an interesting study looking at people with medical marijuana, um, where pretty much everybody that uses medical marijuana is experiencing some type of withdrawal, some worse than others. But that really comes from the fact that, you know, when people look at taking medicine for a chronic disease, they usually take it every single day, usually multiple mm -hmm. times a day. Mm -hmm. And that's what sets up the addiction. Now, they don't think they're addicted, and, and many of these people don't meet criteria for cannabis use disorder because that's supposed to say that people have problems from it. But, you know, we've taken away the legal problems, uh, so they don't have those kind of consequences. Many people are not working, so they don't have that consequence. <laughs> they're not having family consequences because the family everybody's using. Um, and so it's really hard to say they're, quote, addicted. I just say, well, what happens when you don't get it? And, and then that's where they think it's because of their underlying illness, that, that, that that's why they need the marijuana, because it's treating those symptoms. But really what they're experiencing is really significant withdrawal. Yeah. I, um, I experienced, um, this is probably 40 years ago, um, cocaine and I, I experienced it just actually two times and I, I figured out real quickly that the only thing that I wanted when I did cocaine was can you guess more cocaine there you go okay <laughs> there you go and luckily yeah. I figured that one out real quick you know I said yeah. no this is not good isn't this what happens with Almost every addictive substance, I mean, you, uh, co even coffee, even caffeine, or I don't know, like you say, with the nicotine or Oxycontin or whatever, right, Doc? Yeah, no, absolutely. And the more potent it is, the more addicting it is. I mean, you just think about that, cocaine. The right. coca leaf is used 
in the you know Andes a lot. People chew it all the time, and they don't have significant problems with it. But cocaine is a totally different story, and yeah. then crack cocaine is even a more different story. So we've also seen with with the opiate epidemic, um, hmm. you know. Codeine isn't nearly as addicting as Oxycontin or now fentanyl, which is like our extremely powerful opiate, is extremely addicting. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a mess. So is it the idea that these the the euphoric feeling or good or whatever it is with these things is so strong and so pleasurable? Is it this simplistic that when it starts to fade, you just want to do, have more? That's the addiction, essentially? Yeah, and then the problem is, the more you use it, you all, you start depleting your own central stores of dopamine. So ah. that's why, it, I mean, they all eventually deplete dopamine, and that's why then people have to, quote, use to feel normal, because um, they're just not getting the same effect that they got before. And, and that's, you know, why they develop tolerance to the drug. You know, they have to take more and more to get the same effect. That's, that's what happens with addictive drugs. Mm. And, you know, we see the same thing with alcohol. Sure, um, sure. All of them. And, and that's, you know, it's especially tobacco because, you know, tobacco was around for centuries. People were smoking tobacco, but it wasn't that problematic until the tobacco companies started doing everything to increase the absorption of nicotine like they put ammonia in the substances because you have to have an alkaline environment to absorb mm. the nicotine and um yeah they they genetically modified plants to produce more nicotine just like what's happening with marijuana yeah so you think it's true some of the the real purists will say, if you just get pure tobacco, and I think they got a, like American spirit or something, it's just pure tobacco. Do you think that's a whole different story than if you go out and get a Marlboro or something like that? I, no, no, I don't think so, no. because I think all the tobacco companies do the same thing. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, so many compounds in tobacco, and they, they truly do. It's just, I think it's awful, but it's like... It's, Taking, you know, dipping tobacco, you know, they know that if you do Copenhagen and you've never done it before, you're sick as a dog. So they, they take these skull bandits where they have, you know, a different pH and right. so it's more slowly absorbed. So you kind of get used to it over time. <laughs> so I, I've often heard and I saw the movie The Insider. You probably have seen that. It's a great movie. Um, yeah. that, um, that it's all the chemicals that are really more uh, detrimental to our physical health. Is, you think that's true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah, we have, there are so many carcinogens mm. in both tobacco and marijuana. And it, it just, there's recent studies actually showing that there's higher particulate matter coming out of somebody smoking a bong or smoking a joint than there is of smoking a cigarette. Really? And so, we're, you know, we've been very concerned about smoke-free zones with um, tobacco because there's so much research showing that it does affect people who are not using, like people that live in a home where they don't smoke but everybody else smokes are much more highly 
at risk of developing some kind of cancer. So we've had that, but now we have people pushing for marijuana smoking places oh, where people can go smoke. Smoke marijuana. Oh. Yeah, and and I don't know why we would go down that road when we already know that smoking from tobacco is very dangerous. And now this research is showing that the particulate matter and the things that are coming in the smoke from marijuana are even worse. I've seen people where these, they got these little gummies, as you know, whatever they are, and it's just an easy way to, to get whacked. Um, what, what's that about? Is, is, uh, can they get different doses in those as well? Yeah. Yes. Um, that, that is actually part of the problem in, in the manufacturing because you don't really know exactly how much THC is in each individual gummy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the way they manufacture this stuff, it could be that there's a whole lot in one and none in another one. And, and so this is why it becomes very dangerous for children. And we've had Ooh, significant boy. increase in poisonings in young kids because they see it as, you know, candy. candy sure. You mentioned that, that marijuana, excuse me, has, uh, did you want to say something else? Sorry. No, that's okay. good. Uh, that marijuana has carcinogens, really. Oh, yeah. All plants yeah. do, essentially, though, really, if you look at plants really carefully. They all create stuff right. so people don't eat them, right? Right. And they do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they do. And, and what, what's crazy with these concentrates is the number, the primary solvents that they use to isolate the THC are things like butane and propane. Oh. Those are both carcinogens. Wow. And so they're still, you know, they can't get rid of them completely. So if you look at the package labeling, it does say that it contains propane or bupane. And, and so, um, and you know, when you smoke these things, you're putting them in your lungs. That's, that's the other thing that's kind of crazy about medical marijuana. I don't think we encourage anybody to smoke any medicine. I mean, but people are encouraged to smoke marijuana. Here's an email from Ellen. What are your thoughts on regarding the vape pins? I heard or read somewhere that the vape pins cause cancer. Of course, that's another subject. Thank you for your thought. What are vape pins? I don't even know what these are. What are those? Well, this was the attempt by the tobacco industry to decrease people smoking. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and so they come out with these vape pens that instead of you know, burning it with fire, you know, you vaporize it. However, what we found is the chemicals that are necessary to create the vape are actually very dangerous for your lungs. Um, and so we had that whole Evali um, outbreak where all these people were actually dying of vaping um, because of the effect on the lungs. And what is, you know, happening now as we have a lot of vapes with um, high potency THC because it uses really high potency oil um, and this is creating more of an addiction so what I think the studies are showing is that yes there are a certain number of people that quit smoking cigarettes by vaping I don't think it's proven that they actually quit <laughs> nicotine. <laughs> they just vape just nicotine, they, right? Is what they're doing? Yeah. 
yeah, they're still doing nicotine. Uh, but what it's showing in adolescents, especially, is the vapes are increasing the addiction. They're hmm. not decreasing. Wow. So much for that one. That was a good try, right? Um, so let's talk, before we go, let's talk about CBD. It's very, as you know, in the natural health thing, it's like a big thing, you know. What is CBD? So this is cannabidiol, so which is the second major um, cannabinoid out of the cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. And, <coughs> excuse me. Sure. It actually has some protective factors. That's why when people use a balance of THC and CBD low dose, they have less problems. Um, CBD doesn't actually bind to that receptor, but it can be an allosteric inhibitor, meaning it can knock the THC off the receptor. That's why it might be you know, beneficial as a um, a protective factor in cannabis where th there's THC. <laughs> the problem is when they've developed these plants to produce high potency THC, the plant can no longer produce CBD. So most of the products people buy in dispensaries that are THC have almost no CBD at all. Now we go to the other extreme where people are using CBD. Mm -hmm. I think that there may be some benefit from it I just haven't seen the research yet to really support how much is being utilized for so many things. It's like it's the cure-all yeah, for, for everything, right? You know, yeah, every, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. and people tend to not realize that there are lots of potential problems with it. One of the things that can really be affected is the interaction of CBD with medication, oh. especially psychiatric medication or blood thinner medication. Uh, it can actually make blood thinners not work well. Really? So people need to be knowledgeable about that, and their physicians need to be knowledgeable about that. So people should really share with their physician if they're using CBD at all, um, because it can definitely cause problems. I would see many people that would come to me because their medication wasn't working anymore for their psychiatric problems, like their depression, uh -huh. their anxiety. And I would then find out they're using high-potency THC, CBD, all kinds of things. And I would then say, I think this is part of the problem. I mean, your, your medication doesn't work well because of that. Then the other problem is that there are um, downsides to it. Like um, C CBD uh, can elevate liver enzymes. Mm. Uh, and and so people can have a problem when they're taking too much. Yes, it has some um, anti-inflammatory um, effects, and and so that could be helpful. But we also know for things like Tylenol, Motrin, or ibuprofen, they have anti-inflammatory effects. But we know the exact amount you can take before you start risking liver problems. So like with Tylenol, for example, you never should take over 4,000 milligrams a day mm -hmm. um, or you're risking liver problems. CBD, we don't have that data out there. And there know. are people yeah. using all kinds of doses of CBD and it may actually cause worse problems with liver. It, so we don't know that yet. Yeah. I mean, who would know how, how capable the liver is, liver is from detoxing this if you don't do studies and everything? I mean, how would you know? Right. Well, 
Yeah. So if I'm my understanding the CBD is sold legally just in the Walgreens or whatever, if it's 0. 0.003 THC, is that correct? Right. But, yeah, and so, yeah, it's available everywhere. You can buy it online. You can buy it in any stores. You can, um, yeah, it's, and, and part of the problem is it's poorly regulated. FDA has not weighed in on this yet. This is a problem. <laughs> we're trying to get the FDA to actually do something, say something, yeah. you know, to actually get in there and start doing better regulation. Because from the stuff that's in dispensaries, there have been many studies showing that sometimes the products don't have anything that they say they have in them. What do you <laughs> like mean? Where they've actually looked at the medicinal CBD products and they don't have anything in there? Right. Well, they, they either have way more THC than they're supposed to, or they don't have the amount of CBD that they say they have. Um, and then the other problem is testing for contaminants. Because, you know, one of the really great things about the, the cannabis plant uh, especially hemp it's it's a wonderful plant to extract heavy metals from the soil so if you have any problem with bad metals in your soil and you and you raise those plants it will help clean the soil the problem is then those heavy metals are in the plant <laughs> oh good and and yeah. and so things like arsenic lead cadmium those are being found in dispensary products because the testing has not been good enough. Right. Well, uh, Dr. Uh, Libby Stout is with us, and before we go, uh, a couple other things here. Um, a little off the subject, but you're, you study this stuff, psychiatrist, addiction. Why, how should I say this? These kids that go in and shoot people in schools, right? Come on. Why do we never see any connection to these people being, these kids being on drugs or just getting off of drugs? I mean, do these people have this so controlled that this is all controlled? I mean, you don't hear about it. You don't. I, you, you are absolutely <laughs> right. And this is something Whoa. that we trying to get people to pay attention to. Um, yes, all of these really high profile um, things that have happened recently, there have been some reports where um, marijuana is known to have been playing a role, hmm. and but most people don't ever report it and they don't test for it. Like the, the coroners don't included in their toxicology really? which is crazy i mean it really needs to be included because what we found in colorado um when when they were reporting it regularly that the uh, number one drug present in teens who die by suicide in yeah. colorado is marijuana marijuana yeah, and so then we found that they were not reporting it that much anymore and so we actually got put into law that they needed to start reporting um, toxicology to include marijuana. But this is something that needs to happen all over the country because all of, you know, there's a, a physician named Dr. Miller who's written several papers about high-profile cases, like, like people like the Boston Marathon bombers right. and Planned Parenthood shooter and how their um, symptoms that were happening at the time of their crime 
were very much like paranoia and things that were directly related to their use of cannabis. And then they could tie into the fact that they were known to be using cannabis. So it's just we need more people paying attention to this so we can get a better handle on it to see if it really is playing a role or not. Sorry, I just had to do something with my camera. It ran out of juice. <laughs> Live show here, baby. So, um, so then we don't know for sure, but you're suggesting that there could be some evidence that just kids doing regular street marijuana, uh, you know, younger people, and they suicide, and this could be affecting that. This could be affecting. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Absolutely. Whoa. And now, even like the 5 or 10% range? Yeah, because the adolescent brain is so susceptible to all this. Right, right. And, and I would yeah. suspect, I mean, I don't know anything about suicide, but I would suspect then if this uh, being high, if you will, say that, and then you are depressed or you're angry or scared, it just it just elucidates that, right? It just brings it out, and it makes it more real. And it would make sense yeah. that you could do pretty much anything if you really think that you know aliens are after you or whatever, you know, government, or, right? Yeah, you know, whatever, right? right. Yeah, what, right. In 2013, there was a case in Colorado that got highly publicized, but it was a young man who was um, like a high school soccer star right. standout. He was walking down the street with his friend, and they just happened to be smoking a joint. And we don't know anything about the potency of that or anything, but he told his friend that um, he had to go do something, and he apparently ran into a house got a knife and stabbed himself in the chest 20 times what and died you can't stab yourself in the chest 20 times i don't know he just stabbed himself he quite just stabbed a bit. Him. I, oh, I guess you could you know i guess just go for it oh man i tell you okay finally i'm gonna put on my tinfoil hat here so i've been thinking you know i've been thinking that governments kind of know this stuff and they've been acting like uh, they don't like marijuana. And then they just eke it out. I know this is tinfoil hat. Eke it out. And they're going to give you some. And then people want it and because they just like to keep us crazy. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see where you would start thinking that since the government hasn't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> they have, and they're just, and everybody, they're just coming along. States are just popping in one by one, right? Just one right. by one. We're going to give you this. Right. This will be good. Okay. Now you're freer because we're going to give you this. And what if it's making people crazy? I mean, what what's up with that? You know, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would hope the government wouldn't want people to be crazy. Well, well you and know. <laughs> <laughs> you're a lot less cynical than I am. I tell you well, your pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your work. So what's on tap for you? What do you think that... What do, what are your goals that you like to do moving forward with this work? What, what's the, what is your passion now? Well, I, I continue to want to educate people. So I do a lot of talking and uh, trying to get people to see the side I see because yeah. um, of the, the potential damage. And, and yeah, I just, I want to, I'm working on trying to get some laws changed in Colorado 
very hard. Well, when you're in the belly of the beast there in Colorado, right? It's like, Phew. yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, and, and my focus is mostly on the kind of what I think is a bastardization of medicine. So I, I it's not mm-hmm. medical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if people are adult and they want to engage in this as adults, I, I have no issue with that. Right. But if they're calling it medicine, it should be tested and scientifically proven that it's medicine. Right. So the FDA doc is just not involved in this at all, in this medicinal marijuana, nothing. No. Of course, you know, with their, with their track record, the FDA, I mean, I, probably better they just stay away. These people are, oh, jeez, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> uh, why don't you uh, tell the folks what they might find on the website, which is IASIC1.org, your organization. What are you all up to there? Yeah, this is an organization called the International um, Association of IA, whatever. Yeah, it's 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 for looking at the impacts of the it's the science on the impacts of cannabis, and so it's basically physicians that are trying to help other physicians understand these issues because, you know, people are using like you said they're using CBD all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they think you know they're using marijuana as medicine, and so physicians need to be better educated about the potential harms um, so that they can talk to their patients and give them informed consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, a quick little email. Grace says, well, I thought you have to have a prescription from a doctor to get this medicinal marijuana. No? Nope. That's Oops. not. There is no such thing as a prescription because this is still Schedule One, illegal federally. So physicians cannot write prescriptions for it. Um, in the legal states, what physicians do uh, is they write a recommendation huh. that the person has an illness they believe would benefit from marijuana. And so they are then given a card where they can use that card in a dispensary. I see. And that, that's the biggest, like, um, falsehood about <laughs> this whole thing, because in Colorado... In many cases, you can get your card online in 60 seconds. Uh, you just pay your $100 and you, the person doesn't even examine you physically. They don't keep medical records that we can access. And then they just give them the card. And then they go to the dispensary and it's the bud tenders that make the recommendation about what they should be using. Hmm. We uh, actually got a law passed this last year where that's supposed to change, where the physician is supposed to actually write down the recommendations and the recommendations for the route, the potency, the product. But I don't think it's happening because they didn't put anybody in charge of <laughs> making sure it happened. Yeah. Uh, and so we actually still see patients that they um, – they don't have anything that's written for them recommending. Like, you know, I, I see these people all the time who are using things. Like I saw somebody using um, 60%, they're vaping 60% oil, um, THC, for migraine headaches. And I said, did a doctor actually tell you to vape 60% THC for your migraine headaches? Well, no, the doctor just gave me the card, and it was the bud tender that recommended I do that. The who? The, 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 at the, at the, the bud tender. The bud yeah, tender? The person the, selling, 
Yeah, the person selling the marijuana. Oh, oh that's good. Uh, the, the person with no medical training whatsoever. Right. From Aileen, I just tuned in. I, I'll listen to the podcast. I want to hear the whole, yeah, we'll, we'll stream this in a few minutes and you can hear the whole thing. But she wants to know about fentanyl. That's all I hear about on the news. Can your guest explain what it is and why it's so dangerous? So fentanyl is a very powerful, short-acting opiate. Okay. Uh, and, and, and so it, it, um, it is like in, used a lot in medical treatment. Uh, it's one of the number one drugs used to put people to sleep in the operating room. So it has some significant benefit. However, um, it is extremely lethal in, in, a, in an uncontrolled environment. So in an operating room, it's very safe because the anesthesiologist knows what he's doing and, you know, can give the certain amount of dose. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is it's being produced in these especially very colorful, attractive pills that kids really think are beautiful. And then it's being put in all kinds of other chemicals. So I, I, it's being found in marijuana, like it's being put on marijuana leaf, it's um, being put on with methamphetamine. And when somebody uses it, even a very, very small amount, they can die really quickly because what it does is it suppresses um, breathing. And so this person just stops breathing. That's why in the operating room, it's not a problem because the anesthesiologist is breathing for the person. Right. Wow. But, um, hmm. but yeah, this is why it is so dangerous. I, it, it really, uh, and you know, it's got the reputation of being, oh, you're going to get the best high from it because it's so powerful. And that's why people want to try it. Um, and people shouldn't be trying it at all outside a controlled environment. Pretty dangerous. Uh, before we leave, it was on my list. I forgot about it. But I'm seeing more and more um, stuff out there with this idea of low dose or homeopathic dose of uh, medicinal mushrooms and LSD. This is going to become a thing now for psychiatric. Do you think there's anything to this? I mean, is this just another trap, another black hole that we don't want to go down? Well, I think we don't want to go down it in terms of voting on it as a medicine. <laughs> okay. That's, I, I hope people learn from this experience with marijuana. There actually is some research showing some benefit from it, but the the research is being done in a highly controlled situation. So like if somebody is getting um, MMDA-assisted psychotherapy or they're getting psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, that's the goal is assisted psychotherapy under so conditions, in a, right? yeah, under yeah so they're in a controlled environment and in many cases there's two therapists in the room for eight hours wow so actually helping the person process and go through their trip and then how you know how they manage it and what the experience and keeping them safe so that's very different than what right now is in front of the Texas, I mean, the Colorado voters, in terms of legalizing it for home use, home growth, really? sharing with the low friends. dose, the, mu the mushrooms and the LSD. Well, yeah. Any, yeah. yeah, they're they're they want to, you know, legalize psilocybin, um, wow. LSD, so that people can use it as they want to, which I think is extremely scary. Yeah, because it these are very potent psych anti. Um, psychedelics that definitely alter perception of reality and used 
unsupported can be extremely dangerous. I mean, I know of a case of a young man, high school valedictorian, two 800s on SATs, goes to a very prominent um, college in the first two weeks, starts using LSD, and then walked out of a second-story window and fell to his death. I don't think he was suicidal. I think he was thinking he could fly. Sure. I mean, he basically was attempting to change his, go into his altered sense of reality, which is very scary. Well, what's the basic principle behind like a low-dose homeopathic magic mushroom or LSD and how it could help under even uh, controlled uh, uh, conditions to help the person uh, feel better about themselves? I don't really understand what they're doing. Do you? No? Well, no, I, I don't. Okay. And that's why I'm looking forward to learning more about okay. it. Okay. I, I'm, uh, I'm very open to learning about it and mm. seeing more of What's the research there? behind it. Yeah. But I just don't want us to go down this road of people voting for it and then having the same problems we have with marijuana. Sure. And people like to vote for stuff. Oh, yeah, that well, that sounds good. Let's vote for that. <laughs> Especially when they say, we just want to give you more freedom, right, Doc? That's what it is. Well, your pleasure to right. talk to. She's a board-certified addiction psychiatrist, Dr. Libby Stout. Uh, thanks for so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Appreciate your time, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Libby Stout. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty fun. Got to watch out, man. It's, you know, when it, just when you think it's safe to go in the water and somebody gives you a gummy and you start being crazy. Okay, folks, I will see you tomorrow. We have a, um, a, a natural healer kind of lady, folks. Uh, uh, I don't, the late, her name is escaping me, but we're going to do it. I'm going to see you at, at, at uh, 10 o'clock uh, for a little uh, It Takes a Long Time to Get Young show tomorrow, Wednesday, on the 19th. And then we'll dig into uh, our guest at noon as well and uh, uh, diet nutrition next. Sorry, her name is not there and I can't even find it. So uh, that was fun, huh? You can pass on these links to everyone that you care about. Remember all of our videos on BitChute. All of our audios are on OneRadioNetwork.com. And again, thank you for your donations. We've been getting a few more of those because we've been asking because, you know, our... Um, our numbers up. We're getting more listeners from around the world, everywhere, and the sales are kind of, it's kind of punky, because I think I don't know. I ain't never like to put anything off on anybody else, but uh, uh, there's a sluggish, sluggish, and it could just be that folks are, you know, having a hard time, you know, with just day to day buying food and stuff. So if you want to send us a donation of twenty five bucks or something, that'd be cool. God love you. So I will see you uh, tomorrow, ten, 10 o'clock. Have a good uh, Tuesday on uh, OneRadioNetwork.com. I love you all very much. You're doing great. Uh, may the may the blessings be. May the blessings be. Well, what did I do? I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. <laughs> Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.